0: And gospel with Dr. Halista Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Shabbat
1: Shalom, everybody. I'm going to turn this over to Tim. I might put in my two cents worth every now and then if I think you're not noticing, you know, a great part of this program. But if you've been looking for something to introduce folks to the Torah portions and help them acquire that habit, or maybe even it's you. Maybe you haven't yet acquired the Torah portion habit that's building the foundations for you to even be able to study things like prophecy, even study the applications of it. I'm going to let him give you a sample lesson on this week's Torah portion, Yitro. And if it resonates with you, we're going to tell you where to go. It's torah-tuesday.com. Torah-tuesday.com. And we'll repeat that at the end. But in the meantime, you could actually go in there and, and Don't buy it until after Shabbat's over, but take a look at it and and look at what he has available.
0: I'd like to point out when you you were talking about Moses, from this point on, after his father-in-law gave him the very good advice, he spent the rest of his life training Joshua to take his place. So it's a continuous thing. Be fruitful and multiply. He started with Joshua.
1: That's a good start.
0: Well, you can see this is the Torah Tuesday series. Uh, up at the top it says Seed Time and Harvest. That's all the books I've written. But if you're interested in just the Torah series, you'll need to look for Torah Tuesday series. And right now I just have the first year, which you know that you could spend a lifetime studying the the Torah portions. But as Felisa said, it is divided into each Torah portion. There are five books which correlate with the five first five books of the Bible, which we call the Torah. And what I tried to do was make it accessible to people who are new new to this concept, you may see at the top there where it says Torah introduction, new th- to the Old Testament, and I don't mean that you're com- completely new to the or- Old Testament, it's, it's kind of like some people know that uh, Moses built an ark and Jonah swallowed a whale, and that's about it, but of course, i mean funny there, but not too funny. <laughs> So let's, let's get into this. This Torah portion is Yitro, or we know it as Jethro. And you can see there on the screen, and for those of you that are just listening, it's Exodus 18.1 through 20.26. 20, and I start each lesson in the book and also on uh, HRN, the, the streaming videos. I start with the Hebrew many, and I started with the letter Aleph in the first lesson. But of course, since we're in lesson 17, we have now progressed to the letter pay. And the pay kind of looks like a mouth. You could say an open mouth, a circle with an open mouth. And what I've tried to do is give you a brief understanding of each letter. And the letter pay is uh, also the number 80. And it means mouth and opening. And then each week I direct you back to Psalm 119, where David did a marvelous job of explaining each letter. So, for instance, in this this letter, Pei, you would read Psalm 119, 129 through 136. And David gives you more insight as to what this letter means. And if you start at the beginning of Psalm 119, you can see it in order. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, like that. So my idea with the Hebrew many is that you're just not afraid of it. It's accessible to everybody. And I want to tell you a story. I know this lady who was very upset with the, I think we call it the common curriculum, the common core that uh, the government is forcing on everybody. And she was so upset that the first and second graders were no longer learning cursive handwriting. And the reason she was upset is that these students would not be able to read the Declaration of Independence in its original form because you can't read cursive. And it struck me that this may be important to her, but how much more important is uh, scripture in Hebrew? So if we learn a little bit at a time, then eventually we will be there. And that brings me to my personal background.
1: Yeah, you're not Timothy Heck.
0: Yeah, I am not Timothy Heck.
1: You're Timothy Heron.
0: By profession, I am a band director, and I taught for 27 years. In the first six years, I five or six years, I did high school with a an excellent teacher, and he was my mentor, just like Chalisa is my my rabbi and my mentor. And he taught me a lot At after those, I believe it was five years. After those five years, I was uh, shifted to a general music class with middle school because our our school system expanded. And at that time, I had students that may or may not want to be there. So it was a different class. The high school students wanted to take band. And they were eager to learn, but the middle school students in general music, you never know. So I had to adjust the way I taught. So I started with the fundamentals, the basics of music. And then after doing that for three years, I started teaching middle school band with beginners. I'd had had them for the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And from my general music experience, I discovered that the best way to start with is fundamentals, so the fundamentals of Hebrew are the Hebrew letters. Absolutely. And once we have at least an idea of what they are and what they could mean, then we could progress to words. So let me skip to the references. For this tour portion, Yitro, as Halisa said, I am not Timothy Haig. I'm Timothy Heron, But I do recommend his, his resources. It's a marvelous website. For each tour portion portion, I would present the setting. Israel has left Egypt. And we know from past experience that Egypt is, of course, the land of bondage. And Adonai has provided water, meat, and manna. And of course, manna is a hint to not only scripture, but the bread of life, which is Yeshua. He enabled them to defeat the Amalekites. And let's stop with the Amalekites just for a second. The Amalekites tended to Target the people that were on the outskirts. And there's two different types of people they would target. One is the people that were just lazy. They wanted to be at, at, at the back of the crowd. They didn't work hard. They didn't want to catch up to anybody. And hopefully that's not any of you. But the other target group was the people who had problems. Maybe they were physically lame. Uh, they couldn't move as fast. Maybe they were elderly like um, <clears throat> me not Helisa, of course.
1: I'm in my prime.
0: <laughs> so, the, <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you are. The Amalekites would target those that were an easy target for them. So, keep that in mind. And Israel is headed to the promised land. And for each lesson, I have looked for seven, you can call it bullet points, from each of the seven readings. And by the way, the each tour portion is divided into seven readings, the traditional readings. Sometimes I would go a verse or two in either way. But overall, it's the seven readings. And what would be good for you is to come up with your own topics or concepts or main points from each of those readings. These are my seven. Halisa and I have a friend, Adam, mm-hmm. who does a marvelous job of developing a chiastic structure for each Tor portion. And uh, if you've studied with Elisa, you know what chiastic structure is. One is similar to seven. Two is similar to six. Three is like five. But the main idea is number four, whatever is in the middle. And I recommend that you do that yourself after you read the Torah portions. It's just a good idea. But for the first time through, you're welcome to look at mine. And let's read those. From the first reading, Jethro comes to Moses. Then Jethro gives good advice. Good or, how'd you phrase it?
1: More good, better.
0: More good, better advice. Then leaders are chosen after Jethro has taken advice. Israel agrees to the covenant at Mount Mount Sinai. Adonai descends. The 10 words are given. Um, Notice I put the 10 words instead of the 10 commandments. And the people stand at a distance. And we're going to see why they wanted to stand at a distance and not up close. Now let's begin the tour portion. What I recommend you do is read the Torah portion complete the first time, and then go back as you study each reading, uh, read it again. I had a teacher in, I think it was history class, he said, if you read a book and it's interesting, read it twice. Okay. Maybe you'll catch more. So the first reading is Exodus 18, verses 1 through 12. And the main idea I got from this is Jethro comes to Moses. Now, you'll discover that there's lots of ideas, some Some may be more important to you than someone next to you, but I just noticed that Jethro came to Moses. And let's read verses 5 and 6 of Exodus chapter 18. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, with his sons and his wife, came to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the Mount of God. He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. Jethro met Moses at Mount Sinai. This appears to have been after Exodus chapter 19, where we are told that Israel arrived at Mount Sinai. There's no reason to assume all of the Torah is in strict chronological order. Can you think of another book that may not be in strict chronological order? Hmm.
1: Out of the Torah or the rest of the Bible? The
0: rest of the Bible. A very famous one.
1: famous book that's not in correct order. Or chronological order. It might be correct.
0: It is correct. How about the book of Revelation? Is that in perfect chronological order? Of course, scholars have debated that for years. Some say absolutely it has to be, but maybe not. Maybe not. But generally, Scripture is in chronological order, at least the Torah. There must be, however, a reason why this is not in strict order. So what is it? Here's a possibility, and it is only a possibility, but I think it's valid. Exodus 17 tells of Amalek, who is an enemy of Israel. And in contrast to that, uh, Exodus 18 tells of Jethro, who is absolutely a friend of Israel. And I'm going to show you a chart. I will read it for those of you that are only listening. Keep in mind, this is Exodus uh, 17, where Amalek has just created this problem with Israel. Notice that in Amalek, there was fighting but Jethro, his main goal is to bring peace. And how does he bring that peace? He delegates authority. Now uh, You can even call it the, the Jethro plan or the Jethro idea. More delegate. Good, More good, better. More good, better. Delegate. If you notice, all great leaders delegate. Okay, the second comparison is Amalek. He, he chose men for war. And Jethro chose men to settle disputes. How did he do that? As Elisa pointed out, he had kind of a, a pyramid. If if the at the bottom you cannot settle a dispute, then there's a higher authority. And then you can go up to another higher authority. And, of course, Moses would be the highest. But what did Moses do when he did not know the answer? He went to the source. He went to the source. He went to God. And that's one reason uh, we have the Urim and Tumim to help with that, help settle those disputes. The third one, Moses sat on a rock for war. Remember the war with Amalek? Moses sat on a rock. And and I love this illustration. Moses is on a rock, which is Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Down the hill, there's a a battle raging. And the person that is leading that is Joshua, who is Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Moses' hands get tired and they're lifted up by two men. One is from the tribe of Judah. The other is the tribe of Levi. So we have The Messiah, the king that's coming, plus the Levitical priests. So that's a beautiful picture. So Moses is sat on a rock during the battle of Amalek, but Jethro, he noticed that Moses was sitting to judge everyone. But his advice, of course, was to delegate authority. The next comparison is the heavy hands of Moses during the the battle against Amalek. And Jethro noticed that Moses has a heavy responsibility. Once again, the solution, delegate. The next comparison, there's a war through generations. We are commanded, we're told to wipe out Amalek. But Jethro says, go in peace. So the contrast of war and peace. And the last comparison is Amalek cursed, tried to curse Israel. And in the end, he was cursed and Jethro blessed and Jethro was blessed. A lot of that information was from Timothy Haig. Check so out The
1: moral of the story is be a friend.
0: Be a friend. <laughs> be a friend. Delegate be a friend of the, Israel. Right. Or you'll be destroyed. That's right. The second reading, and the good thing about having a book or even a video, if it's recorded, you can stop and do research on your own. And I forgot to mention this. One of my goals with my sixth, seventh, and eighth grade band students, one goal was to develop a love for music. So if you develop a love for the Torah and all of Scripture, part of the battle is over because you will want to research. Amen. You will want to research. And uh, you probably notice that these are little pieces of the reading, not every detail, because sometimes you can get bogged down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Too, too much detail can, can bog you down. So let's move on with the second reading, which is Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 23. Jethro gives advice. Let's read verses 19 and 20. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel. And if you have studied creation gospel at all, you know that counsel is day three. Day three. And it also connects to the spirit, which is the spirit of counsel. Mm-hmm good now listen to me I will give you counsel <laughs> excuse me and God will be with you. you be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God then teach them to the teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. by the way if you are a pastor those are some some things that you should be doing you're not Moses. And you don't exactly has have his authority, but in a sense, you're placed above people and you do have a responsibility. So you should teach the statutes and the laws and you should teach the people in your congregation how to walk and where to walk and what they are to do.
1: The work. Work they
0: are to do. The work they are to do. So it's not all fun and games. No, it's not. It's not all about getting wealthy.
1: No, there's work.
0: There's work. Uh, If you can see this, there's a picture of Moses and his father-in-law. Moses is sitting on a bench, settling disputes. And you can see in the background that there's people circled all the way down the hill. There were probably literally hundreds, if not thousands, who wanted to talk to Moses every day. Kind of like you Tens of thousands of people that would like to talk to Lisa. every day.
1: <laughs> God forbid.
0: <laughs> she doesn't have time to answer all, answer all those emails. The day following Jethro's conversion, we don't know if he actually converted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it appears to be. So the day after this, Jethro noticed a chance to give some good advice to his son-in-law, Moses. And I suspect that Jethro had learned a lot and he taught a lot to Moses during those 40 years mm-hmm. he was with him. I think so. He was a... I'm sure he was a shepherd himself, so he knew how to shepherd sheep and shepherd people. That's probably one reason why Moses just instantly took his advice. Could <laughs> be. Moses did several things at this time. He taught the statutes and laws. He made known how to walk, and in Hebrew that is the word... Halacha. <laughs> <laughs> And he explained the word they to do. He explained the word they were to do. Misread that. Moses was to be a prophet like unto Moses. The Messiah must do these things also. He cannot do away with these things. Let me make two quick comments. I mentioned pastors or leader of your congregation. If you are attending a group and they absolutely refuse to do things that Moses commanded through the Torah, you may want to may want to search another place, another fellowship, because this is part of prophecy. The leader should teach Moses.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And also the Messiah cannot do away with these things. Let me read the verse here. It is Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19, where we see what this prophet like Moses is supposed to be like. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. It shall come about that Whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Now, let's think about Yeshua just for a minute. Some people have declared that Yeshua came to do away with the the law, which includes most of the the Old Testament. But here we see a, a verse, two verses that say this prophet has to be like Moses. He has to do the things that Moses did. And it, and it also has to come from your countrymen, which means the Messiah cannot be a Gentile. Mm-hmm. He can't be somebody who's native to South America. He has to be from uh, the house of Israel. And Adonai will put words in his mouth, and he will speak all that he commands. In other words, this prophet has to reiterate what Moses has said. And if, if some people claim that that's not true, then... Uh, Whoever they're following is a false prophet. So Yeshua cannot do away with the Torah. Any comments on that one?
1: Um, I think that one just stands there and screams all by itself. He has
0: to be like Moses. He has to. Okay, I'm sure there's more in that second reading, but we will move on. Once again, little pieces at a time. Do not overwhelm yourself. When I first, I guess we'll say, when the Torah hit me in the head... <laughs> and knocked mm-hmm. me over. I did something that you may want to do. For nine weeks, I read a Torah portion each morning, and then I read listened a, to a, a, a commentary from a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And that can be overwhelming. But mm-hmm. what I learned from that was that there's a whole lot more to this Old Testament stuff than I ever imagined. But mm-hmm. this, this series here is to make it uh, more accessible, little chunks, little pieces of Torah which I think could be good for some people. The third reading comes from Exodus chapter 18, verses 24 through 27. Four little verses. Leaders are chosen. Verse 27 says, Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went on his way into his own land. And he's saying goodbye, but we will see that he listened to his father-in-law. The following is a comparison between Melchizedek with Jethro or Yitro.
1: I thought this was interesting.
0: I wish you could see this chart. (laughs) It is in the book. This idea of Melchizedek comes from Genesis 14, verses 17 through 24. If you have two Bibles, you could open it up to Genesis 14 and another one to Exodus chapter 18. The Genesis text kind of goes back and forth. It's not in straight order as you read it down the page, but the Exodus 18 is. So you can go straight down the page and you can see these comparisons. Melchizedek... Melchizedek, king of righteousness, is a priest of Salem, or we could even say Shalom. Jethro is a priest of Midian. After Abraham defeated the Mesopotamians, he met Melchizedek, and Moses has just defeated the Amalekites. So that's the comparison to Jethro. The third comparison is uh, Melchizedek brought gifts, and Jethro actually brought wife and sons and to me a wife is a gift
1: absolutely a
0: woman of valor who can find
1: a very good gift a A more good good better
0: (laughs) she likes that term the fourth comparison Melchizedek is the king of peace king of Salem Shalom and Jethro offered peace by taking some of the burden away from Moses that's that's always peaceful don't you like having a day off Mm I do with Uh, With paid vacation, right? Always. Next comparison, Abraham's heir was Eliezer, but so was Moses down the line. Praised God for rescue, and then praised God for rescue in both. Abraham and Jethro praised God for a rescue. And then the last comparison, uh, Melchizedek offered bread and wine, and Jethro and Moses together ate bread and wine, and then Jethro departed. I wish you could see this chart Uh, It is in the book. It's a great comparison. And as I said before, if you develop a love for the Torah, you've got seven points here that you can expand on your own uh, research.
1: Yeah, I think it's good, too, you know, introducing that there are patterns that once you get the simple understanding of the text, then the next step, start to look for patterns. You know, that's sometimes we do that just automatically, because we've been reading the Torah so long, Mm -hmm. we'll pick out patterns and say, oh, we read that over there. It's just a different story, but the same points. And the sooner we get accustomed to that, like there's patterns in scripture, then I think that's when we start appreciating not just the beauty of scripture, but the immense depth, height, width. It's so much bigger than we ever imagined. If we haven't been studying it, And we haven't really had a good teacher to lead us through the study who's going to bring out these wonderful things like this.
0: Well, patterns can also help us determine truth or falsehood, because if you've got 99 things that form a pattern, and then all of a sudden somebody comes to you and say, well, this verse means this, and it's completely opposite to the other 99 in the pattern, you can probably say, you're probably misinterpreting that way. Yeah. And that's that's true for prophecy. It is true. How do we know what's going to happen in the future? The patterns from the past.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And a matter of fact, I believe it is in Hebrew. How do you find your future? You turn around and look behind you. Mm-hmm. The fourth reading, and this could be the most important reading in this Torah portion. You can decide that, but it comes from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Israel Arrives at Mount Sinai and then they agree to the covenant. I think that's pretty important. Mm-hmm. Let's look at 19 verse 8. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the interesting thing is here, they did not know what they were agreeing to. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So the the Faith is in not what the words were spoken at that time, but who spoke them. I like that. You told a story the other day about that. Was it a chair?
1: Yeah, I heard it from Pastor Mark McClendon about, you know, uh, there was this chair. And well, the story is pretty long, so I'm going to nutshell it. Basically, when you sit in a chair, like when you just kind of sat back in that chair, you had faith that the chair wouldn't fall apart. Mm -hmm. But... Is your faith really in the chair, or is it in the one who made the chair? Because somebody who didn't really know what they were doing could have put that chair together, and maybe you shouldn't have had so much faith sitting in the chair. But if you trust in the creator of all things, that's considered true faith. Not in the object, but in the one who created the object.
0: And that is different from the way it was explained to me. I always put faith in the chair, yeah, not the maker, the creator. I love that analogy. They answered together. Israel answered together, which is amazing in itself. Could you imagine three million people answering or doing anything together? No, not in today's society. Together is translated from the word yakad, and it actually means united. And it's related to the word echad, meaning one or unity. United. Uh, a lot of times we'll see in scripture, and we'll see that word "ekad," and it's always translated as one. Yes, they are one. And even today, we we learned how uh, Adam and Eve were Adam and Eve were actually one, mm-hmm. two separate people who were one. And at this point, Israel is three million people who are one. They're in unity, right. and that takes us to the Shema, which is which is Deuteronomy chapter six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is Echad. One, a unity. Israel was united in their commitment to obey. And that word obey here is asah, which means to accomplish, become, or shape. This verse could be translated in the following ways. And I found this interesting as I researched this. Let's rewrite this. Well, you can't change it. Let's re- Um, interpret this all that Adonai has spoken we will become or all that Adonai has spoken we will be shaped into he will do the shaping all that Adonai has spoken we will be transformed into so they were saying we will become something but we will be shaped and molded we will be transformed kind of like pruning a tree yeah this is a great time for pruning. This is when you should, I uh, live on an apple orchard, and uh, February and March is, are great times to do I like a lot of pruning. too,
1: because it, it goes back to what we were just saying about faith, is when you're saved, you don't have faith in yourself that you're going to become, be shaped into, or be transformed into, but you have the faith in the one who saved you to cause you to become, be shaped, and be transformed.
0: And believe it or not, he's big enough to do it. Yeah. <laughs> if he can shape us, he can do about anything. Yeah, faith in the one doing the shaping.
1: I'm a pair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this unity was a forerunner of Acts chapter two, which said they met for prayers and breaking of bread and had things in common. However, this is often misunderstood to mean everyone sold all their belongings and lived in a commune. I don't think we need to do that. Uh, Bad things tend to happen when people move to a commune. People sold their extra possessions to help those in need. They kept their jobs and homes. And we know that because from time to time, they would move from one house to another. And if they had sold their house, of course, they wouldn't have a house to move to. So it's the extra thing. You don't have to give up unless God tells you to. You don't have to give up everything. Some of them still had jobs and uh, kept the economy going.
1: So you don't have to be a street people.
0: You don't have to be. don't have to be. But God may call you. He might. He might. If you can see this, there's a picture of them uh, praying together. They look like monks there. I don't know if that how accurate yeah. that is. There was another time where there was great unity, and that was at the Tower of Babel. They had one purpose. They wanted a name for themselves. They had one goal, and it was not a good goal. But God fixed that. He changed that. He reshaped that, remolded that. And in Hebrew, that is the word tikkun. It means to repair. Sometimes you'll hear the phrase tikkun olam, or repair the world. Acts chapter 2 is actually a, a fixing of the Tower of Babel. And I don't know if scripture says this, but it could have been at Shavuot when they were trying to build the Tower of Babel. We don't know, but if you look for patterns, Mm -hmm. it could be.
1: Could be. Now, in the workbook, do you do this like a phrase we're familiar with, tikkun or tikkun olam? I noticed you introduced that in there. So in the lessons, are you kind of gently introducing Hebrew words of interest
0: Yes. And I always have footnotes. I put footnotes literally at the foot of the page. I don't like having to flip back to the end. So it's right there. If you care to read it, yeah. A lot of footnotes. Um, I like footnotes myself because you can read them or not. Right. And if it's a good book, you can read it the second time and read all the footnotes. And a lot of times the footnote will inspire you to do more research on your own. Another goal. The fifth reading comes from Exodus chapter 19, verses 10 through 25. Israel prepares. So the question is, what do they prepare for? And Adonai descends upon Mount Sinai. I have a little picture here. It's kind of a kindergarten picture of Mount Sinai with a little fence around it. But the fence was very important. We're going to discuss that. Even though the picture is a little cutesy picture, it's not what was going on. Why did Adonai tell Moses twice not to let the people come up the mountain? Here is a possible explanation. Not everyone who agreed to the covenant actually believed the covenant or the God of the covenant. Now, what was the setting for the giving of the Torah? They were at a mountain. There was thunder, lightning, shofar, maybe voices. Uh, New Testament says that the Torah was given through angels. Were there angels up there? Were they shouting? Were they praising God? In other words, it was probably pretty intense. And the people said, we can't handle this. Moses, you you go talk to God and you come back to tell us what he said. So it was probably scary. Mm-hmm. Could have been.
1: They trembled.
0: They did tremble. And I think, don't the rabbis say calves calves were born and things like that?
1: All sorts of miracles happened. Lots of healing That's why a lot of Jewish hospitals are named Mount Sinai.
0: And Scripture says that everyone heard, so there's no deaf, and everyone stood, so there were no lame. And they saw? Everyone could see. Mm -hmm. There was a mixed multitude of Hebrews and others that left Egypt. There was also a mixed multitude of believers in the God of Israel and those that did not believe. So we know there was people from different ethnic groups. There were Egyptians among them. But my question is, did everyone believe? We don't know. We can only approach Adonai Elohim when and how he says. At this point, there are many restrictions. So were they sincere or not? That's my question. Even now, there are restrictions. We can only approach the Father through the Son. You can't go to God the Father and just walk into his presence. You have to go through Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. This repeated warning was an act of grace. Israel did not earn this, which is actually what grace is. It's an undeserved gift. And by the way, in case you are curious, um, everything that you see on the screen is in the book series, but the books have more information. So I may choose a, a few extra points and discuss them in the book that's not in this okay the sixth reading is exodus 20 verses 1 through 17 you're probably familiar with this the 10 words the 10 commandments are spoken let's read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 20 then god spoke all these words saying i am the lord your god who brought you out of the land of egypt out of the house of slavery now most most people would say after this is where the 10 commandments start if you've seen the little uh, chiseled out stones with the with the Ten Commandments and they're numbered in, in Roman numerals, which is not the case, <laughs> it would have been uh, Hebrew letters. They never start with this. They say they start with the next verse, which, say, which says, have no other gods before me. But it's important to understand that this is where the Ten Words begin. I am the Lord. And what did he do? He brought us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's the first word. He sets the stage by telling us, I did this, not you. We find out soon that the people could see the smoke and fire. They could also hear the spoken words. Moses, the shepherd, heard the voice of Elohim at the burning bush 40 years before this. We read in Exodus 19 that they also saw fire and smoke was the fire like the burning bush. I think, and this is just a an idea. The burning bush was a miniature version of what would take place 40 years later. We don't know if there was a shofar. We we know there was a, a sound of an angel, mm-hmm. voice of an angel at the burning bush. Maybe there was a shofar. Uh, it probably wasn't as big an event, but to Moses at that time, it was a big event. Another pattern. So my question is, is there going to be something similar to this in the future?
1: I think there might be.
0: We do know that in the future, I believe it's Zechariah that says from Zion will go forth the Torah. And will it go forth with the sound of a shofar? Will there be thunder and lightning? We don't know, but it could be. It could be. Could be. Good for thought.
1: Miraculous fire.
0: Miraculous Moses has now returned as a shepherd with this flock of Hebrew sheep who will now hear the same voice of the same God. That's important. The God that made himself known to Moses through the burning bush, is the same God who's speaking now at Mount Sinai. Matter of fact, it's the same place. They will hear the name of Adonai spoken by Adonai himself, which I can't imagine that. I can't imagine hearing his own voice say that. He is the God that brought them out of Egypt just as he promised he would do. Let's read Genesis 15, verses 12 through 14. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. So we know they're going to slavery, but it ends up being a good thing. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possession. And this did happen in the very first commandment. Actually, the very first word of chapter 20 in Exodus. He's telling them again, I'm the one who did this. I told you what I was going to do. And I did it. Praise Adonai. Starting the Ten Commandments with verse 2 instead of verse 3 implies something else. Israel had been serving Pharaoh in the land of slavery. And by the way, we all serve someone. Uh, Some people may think, no, I don't serve anybody. If that's true, then you probably serve yourself. You are your own God, which doesn't end well. From now on, Israel will be serving Adonai in the land of promise and freedom. One reason Israel was set free is so they could serve Adonai. And one reason we are set free from The bondage of sin is so we can serve Adonai. And of course, the word serve implies that there is work to do. Mm -hmm. And this is also another tikkun. You know, another Hebrew word tikkun means to prepare. And I have a picture here of the tabernacle and the many, many, many thousands of tents around that. One good thing about the Internet nowadays, uh, if you want a picture of something, you can look it up. So if you have access and you can't see this, find a picture the tabernacle. Exodus 9 verse 13, then Adonai said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says Adonai Elohim of the Hebrews, let my people go, why? That they may serve me, a labor of love. The seventh and final reading, and by the way, one way you can uh, read these readings, these uh, in each portion, is you could read one reading for each day. For instance, on Sunday, read the first one. Monday, read the second one. And then on the on Friday, the sixth day, you could read two readings as a double portion. What I would what I do sometimes is read it that way. And then on Shabbat, I relax from the deeper study. I usually listen to someone like Khalisa and uh, I do a lot of listening. At, attend a uh, congregation if you can. I don't do the same type of study because to me since I study through the week I want to do something different on okay. Shabbat.
1: Yeah, Shabbat should be different.
0: Yeah. Shabbat at my house is different than the other six six days. But if you if you study a lot and read a lot then the only way I can make it different is to listen. Yeah. <laughs> relax a little bit. Okay. That was a side note. The seventh and final reading is Exodus chapter 20 verses 18 through 26 people stand at a distance and instruction for altars. Verse 18 says, all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet. That would be a shofar and the mountain smoke. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. And that's probably what I would have done. Trembled and stood at a distance. Now, we we generally say something like, oh, you know, I would have been on the front row. But Probably not that day. I would say even Moses was trembling.
1: Yeah, I would think so.
0: Shaking in his sandals?
1: Shaking in his sandals.
0: The people were at a distance. That's what the New American Standard, Standard Bible says, or afar off. And that's interesting that King James would, uh, King, J- King James Version would translate it that way. Paul gives a reference to this in the following. And you may hear the The term verbal tally, verbal tally simply means you're giving a reference to another scripture by giving a word or a phrase or a concept. For instance, if I said Noah's flood, what book would you go to? Genesis. Good. Thank you. She got it. If I said, um, let's see, if I said a beast comes from the ocean the sea, a beast rises from the sea, you'd probably turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel. Or Revelation, Revelation yeah. one. Those are verbal tallies. Uh Yeshua did it all the time in the, the Gospels. He would he would make a statement and he didn't say, I'm quoting Zechariah or I'm quoting Deuteronomy chapter twelve. He uh, would give a verbal tally. He would just make a little comment, a phrase, and by the way, don't rabbis do that?
1: They do that a lot. It's in Hebrew, it's us it's a hint yes. that you should know where to find that.
0: And uh A lot of times in the Gospels, you can tell if Yeshua is talking to people who should know, as opposed to maybe the woman at the well. She probably didn't have the background that the rabbis from Jerusalem had. So he spoke differently to her. Let's read Ephesians and see if there's anything about being far off. That you were at that time... Oh, by the way, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. That you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So through the blood of Christ, you can stand right there, at Mount Sinai, you are there now and you can accept or reject the covenant. And sadly, a lot of people reject it or worse, they say they accept it, but they really don't.
1: Yeah, that's a problem. And, and maybe part of it is they don't see, they, they don't know enough about the Torah or the Old Testament that when Yeshua or the apostles say, write these things, they're not making the connection because it you don't know it applies to you, then you don't know it applies to you.
0: Matter of fact, they've at times been told that it does not apply to you. Right. Even when it does.
1: Right. And, and you can't do better until you know better.
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's why it's important, as Paul told Timothy, study to show yourself approved mm-hmm. and rightly divide the word. You got to know the word before you can rightly divide it. Amen. And the foundation is the writings of Paul. Is that correct? (laughs) Let's let's go back further. The foundation of everything is the Torah. Let's move on. In these verses, Paul is specifically speaking to Gentiles who were not part of Israel. That's what Paul was saying in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. However, the Israelites were at Mount Sinai did not want to approach Adonai and his presence after the display on the mountaintop. They were afraid. They wanted someone to go close to Adonai for them. They wanted a mediator. And that's okay. Sometimes we need a mediator. First Moses. And actually God said, okay, if that's what you want, we can do this. And now Yeshua. Yeshua is our infinitely better and permanent mediator. Mm -hmm. This is also the purpose of a sacrifice. A sacrifice brings us near. So we have Moses, Yeshua, and a sacrifice. Yet some people probably moved as close to the boundary as possible to be near the presence of Adonai. I can think of one person, maybe Joshua. Yeah. Because even after Moses left the tent and praying and speaking with Adonai, uh, Joshua stayed there. Mm -hmm. Good example. The people were afraid they would die if they heard the voice of Adonai. Are we also Mm -hmm. afraid? Are you afraid? Am I afraid if we hear the voice of Adonai? Do we study commentaries and sermons, the voice of man, to the exclusion of the written word or the voice of Adonai? I do have an acquaintance that I haven't seen him in years. I'm not even positive if he's alive. And the only thing he read as far as understanding the Bible was a magazine from his denomination and one other magazine that he subscribed to. He did not read the Bible himself. And he didn't even read any scholarly commentaries. Two magazines. Mm-hmm. That's all he knew. I had a boss
1: like that. he I asked him one time about reading the Bible. He noticed like, I had a Bible at my desk, and I read it at lunch. And he said, you sure read the Bible a lot. And I said, well, don't you? And he said, no, I don't need to. All we do is we read the the little paragraph that the priest put in the bulletin each week. And I said, paragraph? <laughs> explain so much. (laughs) You understood. I understood then.
0: (laughs) I'm not saying that commentaries are bad. (laughs) Matter of fact, we, we both have several, but that should not be the foundation. Read the word, read the word, read the word. Were they afraid of the responsibility of hearing the voice of Adonai? Are we? And didn't you tell me one time that you were very careful how deep you would go with people who you thought maybe weren't ready, because once they hear a truth, they're responsible for yeah,
1: it. Yeah, they're responsible. They they have to make a decision. And there's consequences if the decision they make is wrong, if it's sinful. I mean, you know, this is, remember, last week as we were studying, we pointed out that the Torah does two things. It teaches you what sin is, mm-hmm. so you won't. <laughs> and it teaches you respect for Adonai. And if you respect Adonai, then you respect what he says sin is. And if you respect what he says sin is, then that just leads to more reverence for him and it grows and it grows and it grows. But it seems like that's a pattern too. The more we discount his word, the less we can possibly respect
0: him. And what is the New Testament definition of sin? Transgression of the Torah transgression of the Torah. You break the Torah. The Torah says to do this, and we say, I don't have to, because the little paragraph and the little booklet I read each week says we don't. So it is dangerous. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. Information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.